Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. I'm Marek Jawostik. I'm Wayne Gladstone. And this is Sticks and Stones. The show where words can never hurt you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again tonight. We have a wonderful guest here. We have a tremendously talented writer. She is a screenwriter. She's written for um, all sizes of screens, as it were. Uh, We have Liz Hackett, and she is also on Twitter as Liz Hackett, so you may know her there. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, we just like to jump right in. We we generally talk to creative people and we talk about the creativity and, and their process and how they got involved in everything. So if you don't mind, we'll go kind of chronologically and just jump into your life. We'll <laughs> sure. just tear apart your whole life. Is that okay? <laughs> well, I was born. So okay, <laughs> good. That's very, very uh, Dickensian of you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good. Following the whole birth thing, you then, uh, you then always kind of wanted to be a writer, huh? Like growing up when you were little, you, you always wanted to do that? Yeah, it's, it's always been the thing that I kind of just knew that that's what I wanted to do. I told my mother I wanted to be an author, and I was, I'm sorry, there's a very anxious dog in the background, so <laughs> if he, like, pipes in, that's just the dog. Um <clears throat> But yeah, that was um that was that was always kind of my thing and I knew when I was looking at colleges that I wanted to look at creative writing programs and um that was always my focus. And that was actually was that what you studied then because I saw you were doing comedy and and stuff in USC where yeah. you studying writing. I was I was a creative writing major um at USC which is um it's not part of the film school. We were just in a tiny little nondescript English department building, and um, we uh, I just wrote a lot of short stories, and I was in a comedy troupe at USC also, and did a lot of improv and sketch, and um, took a couple of film classes, and kind of got the whole broad spectrum. When you're at USC, are you even allowed to be like a, a is anybody allowed to write books or anything other than for film? Like movies and stuff. I feel as though that's it. Like I feel like you could go into USC as an engineering major and you'd walk out being like, "Well, now I make movies." Like that's the entirety of that school. There is really like like I remember at orientation, like there was I was there with my mom and there was like this one kid with like a film camera who's like wandering through like all the booths and tables, and my mom was like, well, "What's that guy's deal?" And then you come to find there's like fifty of those guys at school. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it was really, you know, everyone was really focused on kind of, like, what they were doing after graduation versus just enjoying school, which, Mm -hmm. going back, I would probably just enjoy school a little more. Um, But, like, I worked at a talent agency two days a week during my senior year. And, yeah, so I wasn't really there a lot the last year of college, which I I would probably do over. Were you, are you from L.A. or were you just, like... I'm from Seattle. 
Okay. All right. Because yeah. then you're you're still in LA, and that is that whole world to me. So if you're you're at USC, you're thinking you want to be an author, and uh, you're you get involved in film, and you start working at a talent agency, and then you you went to work in development, right? Uh, following... I did. But wait, before we, just... before we leave school, um, um, I was just wondering, in all the creative writing classes you took, and I I certainly took a bunch in college as well. Um, were there any, was there any exercise or any piece of advice or any lesson that you found particularly useful or helpful? Because, um, I definitely did have a couple, but I also thought a lot of it was wasted time and completely useless and just the only benefit was gave me an excuse to write, which is helpful. But did anything really valuable that you, that stuck with you? You know, I, yeah, actually, um, <laughs> there were there were a couple of teachers. Well, T.C. Boyle was one of my teachers. Oh, really? Um, wow. Yeah. Um, I had him for a couple of semesters for, like, advanced fiction writing. And he was great because he was the first time that I really learned that, that it was okay to write funny. Because especially if you're in, like, a creative writing fiction program, you, <laughs> everyone's writing these really overwrought, like, yeah, like, right. I'm doing heroin, or, like, they're just like, oh, I was almost murdered. And I'm like, it's a crazy story about the guy and his cousin <laughs> on a road trip. <laughs> and so right. many teacher, teachers were like, um, that's not valid. But then, really? you see, well, they would just be sort of, like, dismissive, like, why don't you write poetry? But then, like, T.C. Boyle was like, no, like, funny is good, and it's great. And he, we actually really bonded, and he nominated me for this award that I won at my graduation. And it was really kind of, and he's like, I mean, he was really encouraging of, like, writers have to be reading, and he was constantly like, what are you reading? What's everyone reading? Let's read. And um, and, and I bet a lot of your peers weren't reading. Right? <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, when I think of the other creative writers, like when I think of even myself, we didn't read nearly enough in school. Yeah. Uh, was, the, the joke was that if you'd ask the Cornell student what their favorite, their favorite writer was, they'd probably just say themselves. And I don't know. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So that really stuck with you, Wayne, I take it. <laughs> you never, you never uh, stuck with the whole. Uh, it, well, I, I, I do think. I don't, I don't think. Any, I don't think writers read enough, and now I, I, I certainly don't, but I have an excuse because I'm trying to pay rent. But, um, <laughs> I read a lot, but I read too much garbage. What counts as garbage? Well, like internet lists or like news or, you know, and that's not <laughs> garbage, but it's not like, right. you know, it's, it's, you're not really, your brain isn't really being bent by the language, <laughs> more just the facts themselves. Okay, yeah. All right. I was I was yeah. <laughs> I was thinking like throw away like uh, airplane books or something like that. Yeah, I was, I oh, was well, curious. <laughs> I love the idea that news uh is what counts as garbage. That's just totally appropriate. <laughs> that makes sense. So you um I'm gonna jump past them, but that's awesome. Uh the award and I mean like that's that must have been very encouraging as well then to feel as though like okay maybe there's there's a future for me in this. Uh, you know, there's somebody who believes in me here. Um, but yeah. you didn't come out and just like, go, okay, now I'm a writer. I'm going to go be a writer. You were much more like, oh, I need to earn a living. I take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I applied to graduate fiction programs, but at that time I was also, I was getting my first development job and that was kind of an exciting world of, you know, your 
um, you know, you're reading scripts and you're networking with, networking with like other development people and um, meeting with writers and, you know, your bosses are making movies. And I just was like, you know what, this is kind of a little bit more interesting to me right now. So hmm. I stayed, I stayed in LA. <laughs> I never left. <laughs> LA is the city I've like always thought I would leave, and I'm like, I'm still here. <laughs> do you like it now, though? You know, Are I you, do. Are like, you happy in it? Okay. I do, okay. I do. I mean, there's like a lot of different kinds of LA you can find. You can find, I mean, it's such a weird, spread out city. You can find your little nook and stay there. Um, I like it more now. I wish there were seasons, but I like it. I've made my you can drive to seasons. It's all right. It's not really that big a deal. So, um, okay, what were you doing in development? Because I, I really, though I lived in LA, I actually know very little about the industry. I really don't. I'm like learning slowly how things get made, but it's still, it's still kind of a new world to me. How, uh, how actually we end up with TV shows and movies. Um, so, what were you doing in, in your well, job? When I started, the industry was a little bit different because there were a lot more um, producer deals at studios. So I worked for um, Demi Moore and Suzanne Todd, who had a deal at Universal. And back then, like this is like the late 90s, like every studio had tons of deals with with producers where they would pay their overhead and pay for development staff and give them you know development money and that was when I started. So there were tons of jobs. <laughs> and you basically, like I started as a staff reader for um, Demi and Suzanne's company. And I just read things. I had an office and I read books and scripts and treatments and wrote coverage on them. And um, then I got a job after that working for um, two independent producers. And it was a little bit different because I was out there trying to find the scripts. Having, you know, having lunch with agents and writers and studio people and just trying to find material to bring to studios to sell to them. That was a whole... Very, I'm like, that's, that's very sort of this classic idea, but I don't... Did, does that just mean reading a ton of shit? Like, just reading a bunch of crap that people are telling you is really good and having to, like, to... Um, just... That was more when I was a reader. When you're actually, when you are more of a you know sort of active development executive you really are trying to put together you know a writer an idea find a script that maybe needs some development and get it into shape find a book find an article and attach some writers to it um find a script and attach a director to it i mean you really are doing a lot of like the legwork for the producer you work for in terms of like trying to get as much as possible together so they can have something to sell to a studio as a movie or a TV show. And in doing that, were you seeing the projects that you were, you know, saying that, uh, that you were uh, promoting or, or selling, or were they getting made or were they just getting shelved? Um, you know, it's a combination of all of them. I mean, it's, it was also that I was t- like in meetings with writers and I had read their script and I was like, I could write a script. Like, they have, they got an agent. <laughs> like, I, that doesn't really look that hard. Like, I've read by, I mean, by that point, I'd read, you know, hundreds and thousands of scripts. So I kind of understood the format, and it was more like, it seemed like that was more the other, I wanted to be on the other side of the desk. Right. So you then decided to do that. You got, you had a, found a writing partner and started writing something? 
Yeah, so a friend of mine who uh, had my same job, she was, well, she was a little more senior. She was a, a studio executive, and she and I, like on nights and weekends, just started writing a script together, and it was kind of like that was our escape from our sort of jobs that we, you know, <laughs> wanted to escape from. And um, then, you know, part of the whole game of writing is actually finishing something, so we actually finished it. And then we were like, okay, what do we do with this now? And we knew a lot of agents from having, you know, interacted with them in development. And so then we just set out to find an agent. So you had a pool to, to pick from. And was yeah, that here at that point? Or was it? Um, we thought it would be very, very easy, but actually finding an agent is pretty hard. So <laughs> we sent out to a That's bunch of places. Yeah, we uh, we sent out to a bunch of places and got rejected from some places. And um, then we finally sent it to this one place, um, these producers um, who uh, we're still friends with today, the, um, Craig Perry and Sheila Hanahan-Taylor, who um, really liked the script and kind of got what it was supposed to be, and then they sold it to MGM a week later. What was it? Um, it was called Shake It. And it was uh, it was kind of like a legally blonde style female comedy. Okay. Um, do you want more? Did it get made? <laughs> it did not get made. MGM went through all sorts of permutations of MGMness, and um, it kind of just got shelved in the shuffle. But, How, uh, but I mean, like, I feel like that's going to be the most frustrating thing too, because you spent so much time working on that. Like, you guys put in tons of of hours working on the script, and you had all of the anxiety of finding somebody to to rep it, and you had all of the anxiety of getting, you know, sold and out there, and then nothing. Like, is that? Yeah, I mean, that is the hard part of it all. Is you you have put yourself into it, but I mean, the the thing about filmmaking is like you do that even if it does get made, you send it off, like, and then actors and directors and everyone else puts their hands on it and it's gone anyways. So it's, it's, it does suck when it's like (laughs) something dies, but you're always working on something new. And so that was, I mean, that there is a grief, a grieving process, but you, you know, it's, it's just kind of part of it. It's, I mean, if you really want full control over what you write, like, start your own website or write a book or something, you know, (laughs) um, where you can have more control because filmmaking is, I mean, when you're writing a script, it's really just a blueprint for a movie and that's the script is not the movie. The script is just step one. So you send it off. When you were writing these first scripts, even now, but I guess these first scripts, were you, was there a specific beat sheet? Field, Save the Cat. Was there anything that uh, that you like to adhere to? Or you um, were, you... I'm like, <laughs> we're like a little unconventional in that like we like we've read those things, but we kind of. I mean, I sort of just intuitively learned how to write a script just from reading so many, and she's kind of the same way. Um, I mean, we just sort of just inherently the structure is just in our brain now. Like it's just kind of woven itself into our DNA just because it's been so long. Um, And we, we have like a very, very detailed outline that we write together and it'll be like, you know, for a feature, you know, 15 to 17 pages, just everything. Um, 
so that when we start writing, there's no like, la 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 la, you know, wandering off into strange paths. Like we you, pretty much. You outline what? everything before you write. You outline, yeah. outline everything before you start. Everything. Everything. You, everything. But when That's you start, does outline ever change? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We'll start writing, and we're like, you know, actually page 25, it just really doesn't work, and actually I realize there's a huge logic problem, because when we do this, like suddenly 40 pages later, we're going to have this, and then the other one's like, oh shit, you're right, and then we go back and we, you know, amend the outline and keep working. Yeah, yeah, I find, uh, I know I'm similar, I find it's helpful to have, you you should outline everything, but... Well, it's the really heavy... Sorry? Hello? Hello? Oh, no, no go. I interrupted no. you, sorry. No, it's fine, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, so I was going to say, like, that is the heavy lifting part of writing, is, is the outline, the actual meat of it, and that's the really, the writing is actually a lot easier than outlining. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But they, you, so you probably, you, you're you more disciplined, yeah. Sometimes well, I also script to, the script is back. Sometimes I have to go and write just and then figure out the outline. So it's the act of writing. Well, a script is much more compact than a novel. No, no, I'm I'm talking about scripts. Oh, okay. Okay, go ahead. Well, I'm going to interrupt you both uh, and just talk right over you because we're at a point where we usually play a game, so we're going to jump in and play one of our games here. Um, So... Liz, I know you've heard at least one show, so um, we play the same sort of games on each one. And this first game is called Stick, Stone, or Story. And I'm going to give you three different anecdotes that are all tied together in a theme. And it will be up to you, uh, once you've heard them all, to determine which one is about me and Marichwa Stick, so which one is Stick, which one is about Wayne, Wayne Gladstone, that's Stone, and which one is about a third random person in the universe uh, today, that third random person is a celebrity, so uh, okay. that narrows it down to only, you know, several million people. But um, <laughs> but you don't have to guess who that person is. Uh, you can, for extra credit, if you'd like. You just need to guess that it's, it's neither Wayne nor myself. Okay. You ready to play? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. The first one. This person was in the championship game of dodgeball at summer camp. This person was outnumbered five to one. Miraculously, this person convinced the other team, all who had dodgeballs, to throw on this person's command. Counting down to three, the other team all threw at once, missing the person who took that opportunity to dive along the gymnasium floor with their balls sailing overhead. That's our first. Our second, this person didn't play a lot of sports but did do well enough on the tennis court to make the high school team. While in a final match, this person noticed members of the opposing team mocking the tennis player and making fun of the grunts that the person was making when they swung the racket. Uh, Though momentarily distracted, this person still went on to win that particular game, if not the entire uh, match. And the third... This person was in the final game on a losing soccer team where the team, as a total, had failed to score a single goal all season. During the final moments of the game, this person was running down the field when an 
opposing team player tried to steal the ball. Uh, seeing a ditch on the field, this person noted an opportunity and ran the opposing player into the hole, causing the other player to fracture their leg. Uh, they also then went on to score one goal, which was one goal the entire season, but they still did not win the game. Those are your three <laughs> sports-related stories of three uh, non-athletes. Um, we have dodgeball, tennis, and soccer. Would you like to take a guess which one is about who? Hmm. Okay. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm gonna say that the soccer is Mora, okay. and the tennis is Wayne, and the dodgeball is a celebrity. Okay. All right. You have done not as bad as some. (laughs) (laughs) You got one right. One right, which is much better than none right, and plenty of people have gotten none right. The soccer was, in fact, me. Uh I am definitely the person who would run a teammate into an opposing team member into a ditch and break her leg. Yes, that that is absolutely (laughs) me. (laughs) The the other two, though, the dodgeball was actually Wayne. Oh, uh-huh. But that that was an impressive moment. Uh, so you know, I, all very happy. I mean, I lost. You lost. Back to that, you know, it was all over. But still, that one moment was quite exciting. That is, it's very, <laughs> very enterprising. Dodgeball is just inhuman as a sport. It really is. I love the player adults who play there's it an still ex- and get really into it. There's an extra credit uh, option, even though you didn't get, you got too mm-hmm. wrong. Now that you know the answer, you can guess any celebrity in the world for that other last option. If you get that right, that's like some extra credit. Yeah, the tennis. Would you like to take a guess know. as to who the celebrity tennis player might have been, or the celebrity who played tennis, I should say? Uh, is it? <laughs> is it? Can I guess? Like, I, for him? you have to guess. Any <laughs> anyone in the world? You have to. You have to guess. Is it a tennis player? It is not a tennis player. It is just oh. a celebrity who happened to play tennis. Uh, uh, um, uh, David Letterman. I don't know. Wait, 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 I'm going to guess. That was a very good guess. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, once again, every week, Brad Dereese. <laughs> <laughs> I really have to find some celebrity fact on Brad Dereese so that I can eventually use that, and you can be right. <laughs> It'll be a really happy moment. But unfortunately, this is not that week. The, the tennis player was, in fact, Tina Fey. Who oh. knew? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I want to say, I feel like Letterman is, you know, that's a lot closer <laughs> than a lot of potential celebrity guesses that you could have gotten. So I'm... I'm I spun the wheel. I went with what I got. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That worked out well. Did you play any sports, Liz? Um, no. No, I'm more of like a like a hiking, running sort of person. Not like a. I kind of panic. Running is a sport, you know. Like that's actually yeah, but I'm not like a competitive runner. I'm like a leisurely runner. (laughs) I don't run for time. I can't imagine running leisurely. Le- running is like the worst punishment that I could ever imagine. So to do it leisurely, that doesn't make sense to me. That's like, oh, I just had a leisurely beating. Oh, I just, it was a leisurely electric shock. It was not a big, it was just something I just do, you know. Can you hear my dog in the background? No. What? What kind of dog? Come here. Come here. 
Do you want to be on the podcast? Oh, there <laughs> <laughs> He's an Australian shepherd. Aw. An anxiety-ridden one? Even very anxious. He's very anxious. Well, now is like the time of day when the FedEx guy comes, so he's really like, oh, my God, trucks. Does he have a lot of packages? Is he waiting for something? I don't know. He's online shopping. Oh, okay. Sure. All right. He seems calmer now. Well, he just needed to be acknowledged. He just wanted to know that he, his voice was being heard on a podcast by a lot of people. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Well, all right. We're going to jump back into your life, unless unless – the dog would like to talk about his life, in which case, that's fine. We can tag team out. We're very open here. But <laughs> He probably would. Um, yeah, so I'm ready. You, I mean, you have now been a, a writer in Hollywood, as it were, for over a decade. Um, what, what is the thing that you have written that you were most happy with? And is it the same that would your writing partner also choose the same project? I think that we both, we wrote a, um, our first movie that was produced was a movie for the Disney Channel called Geek Charming. And I think, I think that's our favorite one Um, because it was really like we were this, I mean, it was, the script is exactly, they shot exactly what we wrote and um, it's, we're, we're really very happy with it. And I think that's like, that's my most favorite one. Um, and uh, when was that one? Used on YouTube, right? Your least favorite clip has a movie <laughs> viral on YouTube. Oh, I know that was weird. Well, you can actually watch the whole movie on YouTube if you want to, which is also awesome. Um, uh, there goes my night. <laughs> I know. There goes my residual check. Um, <laughs> but... well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about uh, not residuals, but but. Um, in the in your time as a, a as a writer, um, how has um, I mean how has the industry changed? You know, I know that I have another. You know, we had um, Tim Talbert on the show who writes, mm-hmm. and uh, he mentioned that he noticed a change in the industry after the writer's strike. It seemed like uh, the industry clamped down more, and more things were done on spec and yeah. reality television. Did you want to? You have any impressions on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm still kind of trying to exactly figure out what the effect has been. But um, the strike, after the strike, I mean, they, you know, they definitely make fewer studio movies now and they buy fewer. Um, you know, when I started, we started in the mid-2000s and studios bought a lot more material than you. You know, they were stockpiling, you know, scripts and ideas and they were buying things to develop as ideas and that yeah. does not happen as much <laughs> anymore and also since they are making fewer movies and really specifically making things that are you know like franchises or that have some sort of you know pre-existing IP or there's something that you know that, right. that that's that's not just like a one-off um a lot of people are going to television yeah so that's, yeah that's, that's true. That's um, that's where a is lot it, of good writing is happening. <laughs> do you like um, for you? Because I mean, it seems to me you've you've written both. Do you? Like, would you prefer to just be writing movies, or do you like writing television? Do you like doing like? Do you, I like I like both, honestly. Like they're 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 both so different. Um, and I like I mean they're both. I watch both. I like both. 
um, you know, a, a, a TV show. I mean, a movie is its own sort of self-contained little thing, whereas a TV show is a much more um, open-ended. And if, if you can even get it to stay on the air anywhere <laughs> is like the first challenge or right. get it get it bought, get it stay on the air, get it, you know. It, it never really ends the process. <laughs> I was curious because, um, you know, I've, I've talked to you a little bit about this before, and we've had a lot of people on who write in different capacities and in different ways, but I I think you're at least the first that has been, has said it really vocally and has done it consistently throughout your career that you have written with a partner. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because, I, I you know, I hear a lot of people saying, like, oh, you should write with a partner. That's something that gets thrown out a lot, and I have no idea what that means. I don't know if that means, like, two people sitting in a room, like, locked together, just, like, shouting things out and writing it down and hammering it out, or if it's, you know, passing work back and forth and, like, doing an exquisite corpse with two people, or, or what, the, what, the, what the process is. What does it mean to write with a, a partner? Well, it can, mean a, it can mean a bunch of different things. I mean, I know people who, for their entire career, they, they sit in front of the computer together and like stare at the same screen. You know, there's some people that, you know, one types while the other one paces. We come up with it in the same room and then we'll brainstorm together and then we'll we'll write outlines mostly together. But then for the actual writing, we, I mean, this is why we have a really detailed outline. Right, right, right. Is that we aren't in the same room, so we, we aren't deviating and suddenly like sending the other one 20 pages where it's like, what's this? <laughs> like, we know exactly kind of what's coming to us. Um, and I, I like it because, especially in screenwriting, there's so much, an actual, like a script, if it's like a studio-style movie, like there's, there's so much, like, architecture to it. It's, you know, you can, you can make an indie movie that's just like a road trip where, like, one thing kind of goes into another one, blah, blah, blah. But if you're doing a traditional, like, save-the-cat-type structure, like, there's a lot that has to happen in a short amount of time, and yep. it it takes. I've found I can't really do it alone. I need somebody else working together because I don't have the best engineering brain in terms of story. Um, and I like working with a partner because you each bring different strengths to it. Mm-hmm. So you feel you're more like on dialogue, and your partner more on like structure, maybe? Or yeah, I mean, it kind of started out like that, and I think we've both kind of both kind of learned and kind of gravitated towards the middle and I think I feel like we're both on equal footing with that now um I mean I feel like I've definitely in the beginning story was not something I was great at just yeah no it's it's hard that's why I like uh that's why I also like outlining too um because it just forces you to to think in that story you know with with Mm -hmm. speech but the other I guess you don't have this as much with screenwriting um but you do. I, do you ever like outline? It's comforting, right? Because you don't feel like you're going to generate a bunch of pages that aren't going anywhere. You know it's yeah. going somewhere. So you, yeah. Yeah. Not wasting your time. Exactly. And and what's also nice about a partner? I mean, I know plenty of people that write on their own just fine, and they're they're just fine. But for me, I like knowing. You know, <laughs> there are some times like you reach to the end. You get to the end of like twenty pages. And you have no idea what happens next, and you have another brain there that's like, oh, you know what? Actually, I had an idea this morning. Let me try something, and then it gets fixed. 
So, right. And also just, I mean, there are some days it's like, you'll have a really horrible meeting and you just wait to get in the elevator and like wait for the elevator doors to close. And you're like, okay, where are we going for a glass of wine? Like <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an ally in the trenches, which you do sometimes need in this business. Yeah, that makes sense. So it seems like it's a very, I mean, you, you're facing a lot of rejection all the time in the yeah. industry, no matter what role you're in. So yeah, yeah having that to, would be, yeah, it's it's hard to – it took me a long time to make peace with that one because you get rejected a lot. And most of the time it has absolutely nothing to do with you. I mean, sometimes it does, but sometimes <laughs> it doesn't at all. So sometimes there's a whole host of reasons, and it could also be you. But, um, you know, it's it's hard to brush it off. It took a, it took a couple of years to learn that skill. We're, you guys um, – uh, sorry. I'm not going I was just going to ask, because um, I would think that the difficulty of writing with a partner for me, and maybe it's just because I'm just like a horrible asshole, um, would just be fighting a lot. <laughs> like, just, you know, just, just clashing. And is that a problem for you? You guys are just both kind of on the same wavelength where it, it's well, not even a problem. You want to find, some, find somebody where you both want to write the same sort of thing. If <laughs> that really helps. <laughs> if you sure. both if you both set out like when we both set out we're like we want to write the kind of like legally blonde type script and that was exactly what we both wanted to write and so if one of us wanted to write like you know little miss sunshine and the other one wanted to write like transformers then it just you would it would be horrible so mm-hmm. you have to find people where you you kind of have the same goal in mind um and there's always you know any col- you know collaborative creative process is going to have some sort of disagreement and um and you figure out you know if you can't work that out then then you don't write together again um and i definitely know those i've seen that happen with people um, <laughs> coming, up, coming up on game number two but before we do <laughs> um uh i really thought i don't want to go the whole show without um getting to something you mentioned in the pre-interview because i think it's very helpful uh you gave some advice that you heard from uh sheila Hanahan tale about uh, the best advice you got about Hollywood. Can you yeah. The audience? I think it's really helpful. Okay. Um, uh, the, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so a very good friend of mine, who's one of my favorite people uh, in this business. Uh, we sometimes go speak at her class. At, she's taught at USC and UCLA in her spare time. And she always says Hollywood is a game. And if you want to play in the game, you have to bring something to play with. And I've always thought about that a lot <laughs> because um, and she's also someone who has said, like, finished, you know, finishing is better than perfect, um, which is that you have to have a script and you, or you have to have your TV show or your book or your play or whatever medium it is you want to work in because just having potential or just having a film school award or just having a huge amount of Twitter followers, <clears throat> like that isn't going to get you hired. I think maybe a couple of years ago it might have, but I think what happened is people hired Twitter people and then realized they didn't actually know how to write scripts. So I think that <laughs> you need they ruined to have... it for the rest of us. <laughs> I know. So you really have to have, you know, if you want a job in Hollywood, you – Twitter is a great calling card. It's a great second resume. It's a great way to network. I mean, I've met a lot of people. It's a great way to get your voice known. 
Um, but you have to have a script. Like you have to, whatever it is, if it's your sketch show, if it's your screenplay, if it's your pilot, if it's, you know, your book, your weird one-person show that goes to Burning Man, whatever it is, like it has to actually be written. Because it, I otherwise... I just it, got this idea for a weird one-man show. <laughs> we talked about a, <laughs> I live in a canyon. There's that's my neighbors. <laughs> that's a different podcast. Um, but uh, you know, otherwise, an agent doesn't have. They can't do anything with you. They they have no script to send out. They have nothing to try to sell. They don't have a sample to give to shows or producers or studio executives to say like, here's this writer. So it's that's that you know you have to bring something to play with. That's, right. I think that was kind of some of the best, like, little dribble drabble of advice I picked up in <laughs> just listening to her talk. It's excellent. So, yeah. So now we are on to the second game. And oh, sweet. Expansion, redemption. Uh, I don't want you to feel too bad about going one for three, but, you know, I think you feel <laughs> a lot better for yourself tonight, Liz, if you, if you nail this. And yeah, you, okay. Bring it up to, like, a C average. It's called highbrow, lowbrow. Uh, and I like that's my favorite thing in art like something really smart that has like fart jokes in it that's about as good as it gets for me so (laughs) we have four questions two of them are highbrow two of them are lowbrow and you only have to get three out of the four right and it's up to you whether you go two high or one low or two low or one high and the first question in each category at least as far as I can concern is easier than the second one so you know so up to you. You choose. Oh, the category today, in honor of you and your writing partner, is partners. Okay. Highbrow or lowbrow? You Do I choose? Oh, you choose. Uh, highbrow. The first, the first film by these filmmaking partners was Blood Simple. Oh, the Coen Brothers. Correct. That was the easier of the two highbrow. <laughs> I like how she just breezed through that too, like no problem. Highbrow, <laughs> highbrow or lowbrow? Um, lowbrow. The first film by these filmmaking partners was Dumb and Dumber. Oh, the Farrelly Brothers. Correct. Look how good <laughs> you're doing. Now we are to the harder of the two categories. Okay. Category, but you only have to get one of these next two right to win. Highbrow, lowbrow. Okay, sweet. Gonna be. Um, highbrow. These two scientists found fame mapping DNA. Watson and Crick? Oh, there she goes. <laughs> for three. You want the bonus question? Just sure. You've already won, but I think this will, you know, take the sting out of that colossal failure from the first game. Okay, okay. good. <laughs> These two partners, and it's, and it's a fun question, too. These okay. Two part- Kidnapped and murdered a 14-year-old boy in 1924 in what was known as the crime of the century. I'll give you another hint. Oh, it's a Lindbergh baby, but who are they? He inspired the play and film Rope, the movie Swoon. Oh, what are their names? Oh, fucker. Um... Last hint, since you've already won the game, I'll give you another hint. Alliteration. Alliteration is a hint. Oh, um, uh, oh, 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 I know it, I know it, I don't know it. I do know them, but... <laughs> Another hint, rhymes with Eopold and Ob. Oh, well, 
<laughs> and you would add an L before each one for the alliteration part, and then you'd put the Leopold and love. And you'd get a Leopold and love. But you won. You're a winner. You won highbrow, lowbrow. You smoked it. Congratulations. <laughs> I think there's only been two people in the history of the show who've ever gotten all four right. Oh, uh, why did I not? Lucky Yates, Marcher, and who was the other one, Laura? I don't know. I cannot remember at all. I'm oh, very yeah. bad with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at remembering who didn't do well. Yes, I not. remember the failures. <laughs> did not do it. You know, if he's listening in, he just should be reminded that he did not do it. Although, well, I know he did do it, and I'm forgetting. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We're going really well. We're in the we're in the final home stretch now uh, of the show. Uh, we've talked about uh, your your early start. We talked about uh, how the industry's changed. We talked about riding with a partner. You smoked highbrow, lowbrow. Laura, what should we go to next? Well, we were talking. We you know we asked you what you've got uh, coming up and and what we'd like to mention. And, and you've got a Hallmark movie that's going to start airing again on the Hallmark Channel. Yeah. So I just had to ask, what like uh, when you say again, how how often does this air on the Hallmark Channel? Every Christmas. <laughs> that's great. That seems to be the way to go then, making like a seasonal movie that's just going to keep being relevant every year at a certain time. I oh, can yeah. imagine. It's well, like, and Groundhog also, like... Day has no competition, and that's all you're going to see on Groundhog <laughs> Day three hundred times. Yeah, that's yeah. It really does have its its own one Hallmark movie, but no, it's great because like my my uh, all of the like great aunts in my family are like, oh my gosh, we saw your movie last night. We're so excited. Oh, we were baking, and then I'm like, as it should be, <laughs> you're baking. It's the holidays. Our movie comes on. It's the way it's supposed to be. That's and the movie is. And the movie I'm sorry. Is, what? Did we say the name of the movie? Oh, yeah, it's called Fur Crazy. It's like stir crazy, but fur, like fur trees. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like fur so, trees, yeah. And every time yeah. I see that, I think I want it to be about dogs. I want it to be about your dog just sort of barking <laughs> in the background. That's what I'm, I always yeah. go F-U-R, but no, it's F-I-R. Is uh-huh. it about trees? It's about uh, Christmas tree lots. And, um, yeah. yes, in New York City, they stay open 24 hours a day. Small known fact. And I did not know that. Yes, because there's nowhere to store the trees at night. Right. So ours is a romantic Christmas story set on a 24-hour Christmas tree lot. Called for a crazy. I, uh, last Christmas, I was walking by a uh, New York City uh, Christmas tree uh, lot, and uh, the point thing here is that it was no longer Christmas. It it was like two days past Christmas. Also, I'm Jewish, but let's just stick with the two days past Christmas. <laughs> they were giving them away. They were giving the Christmas trees away, and no one gave a shit because it was, you know, like almost New Year's. Yeah. And the guy was indifferent. He's like, what the fuck? I'm giving it away. <laughs> yeah. Just take a tree with you in the middle of New York City for free. Just start uh, eating one like a wood chipper. He was incredulous that no one wanted a free Christmas tree like in, on January 1st. Aww. <laughs> 27. It was obviously his first time around. So, <laughs> and I said, you know what? Take you, replace you with a sassy chick, add a love interest. All Done. You'd watch there it you nonstop. You'd watch it every year while baking. While baking Hanukkah cookies. It all, wait, which one? I'm, I am going to watch. That is literally what I'm going to do as soon as this call is over. Fur Crazy or Geek Charming? Which Geek, Charming. Geek Charming. It's, it's October. Which it's October. Geek Charming. 
purely because it's not seasonal. That you can watch on YouTube because we don't want that that knowledge. Oh, that's true. That's true. But maybe it's also on Netflix and it's it's probably on demand on your. Oh, okay. Netflix. This is very exciting. Yeah. I watched it on Netflix. Why would I? It's on the. It's on the net. I know my dad. My dad calls. He's like, "Did you know Geek Charming's on Netflix?" I'm like, "Dad, you realize Netflix is like a rental service." It's like he thinks he thinks it's like some kingdom where they like movies get to go. I'm like, no. <laughs> There's like, it's like pretty broad. There's a lot of stuff on there. You know what? I'm streaming silently streaming Geek Charming on Netflix right now just for the residual. But then after the call, I'm oh. go back again. I thank you for the sixty-five cents. Well, and since I, we're talking I money, a, we had a. a more serious uh, question that uh, that somebody in the chat room posed, so I'll ask it. With all of the uh, attention on, I guess, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is the one who wrote that whole piece about how she was being paid less as a, a millionaire actress, but she was being paid less than her uh, male co-stars. So, so somebody um, in our chat room asked if you had encountered anything where you found that uh, female screenwriters were being paid less than male counterparts. Yeah, so I thought it was interesting as well, but I didn't know if it was anything you'd uh, you'd experienced in any way. Um, n- I mean, no, not outright. Um, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it kind of... Do you feel like you know what other people are making? Like, do you feel like you have... Because that's always the problem in most industries is that, you know, you fight for yourself, but you're if you don't have the awareness of, well, here's what everyone else is getting it's paid, a, you really... It's a really, know. like, uncomfortable subject that people uh, are, like, very cagey about. <laughs> sure. You know, like, obviously your agent knows um, and business affairs knows, but it's, like, people are pretty... Because also it's, like, something might sound like a huge number, but, like, that could be the only check you get for the next three years. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> Right. Like that's I mean that's like one thing I want I wish I could do is go to colleges and teach a course on art like art finances like artist finances because you get you know as an actor or a writer or any sort of thing you know in film especially it's like you get a check and you're like woo and then you don't realize like you have to pay taxes on that and then that might be all you make that year um you know some of your friends might make that every week but like you really do have to like be prudent <laughs> about your spending as a creative person because you don't you don't really know. I mean I mean basically you know I'm a freelance writer. So I don't oh. I don't know, you know, you're always kind of like, oh shit, where's my next job? Um right. but I've never felt I've I've never I, you know, I definitely know guys that you know have huge salaries, but I know women who also have pretty huge salaries, so I've personally never felt it, but I've not really discussed it a lot. So I'm sure it probably does exist, but I'm not right. super knowledgeable. Is is there any other gender um, element? Because you know I've seen it a lot, and I saw a lot of pieces as well being written then about how uh, you know female authors were getting kind of marginalized in terms of novels and books and. So have you felt any 
any sort of disadvantage, or you just you you feel totally like it's a fair yeah. I mean, it's it's okay. it's definitely more. Of, it's a very man. I mean, at least in movies, it's a pretty man friendly <laughs> environment right now. Um, so that's that's a little nerve wracking. In terms of the like the the like the movies being made and who's or, yeah. In movies being made and who's who's making them in terms of like big studio movies, it's it's dudes. <laughs> oh, I just yeah. realized I love Liz Hackett so much that I am totally okay with waking up tomorrow morning and having Netflix say to me, Because you loved Geek Charming <laughs> <laughs> you should watch Zach and Cody and the Sweet Life and other Disney productions. You're on a watch list now, Wayne. I'm sorry. <laughs> like my my kids are gonna get on my Netflix and be like, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Years of building their respect. <laughs> my little ones be like, yeah. See, I too. So, uh, okay, yeah, all right. Well, wait, no how good. old are your kids? Are are they? I have three kids, and they oh, are okay. different ages. Oh, okay. They're not triplets, and oh. they are thirteen, eleven, and. Um, uh, will be, I, I mean, <laughs> I say will be nine, right. But I mean also because his birthday is November, so. Oh. Yeah. That was a really long hesitation there, though. Will be, <laughs> will be eight. Will be, will be eight. Will be eight. Excuse me. Excuse me. Two years apart and three years apart, but it screws me because they're born early in the year, he's born late in the year, so then it looks like it's four years apart. Sorry. Got me confused. So will be eight. Think of it. Think of it when people ask you. Just go 13, 11, and 8. And <laughs> okay. Stay low for like another month, and then it'll be true. So we are to the final segment of the show, where we call it um, Knowledge Roundup. Why? Because we couldn't think of a good name. And uh, <laughs> bring this point to the show, we uh, I ramble for a little bit to give uh, Mara some lag time. We all tell something that we learned today during the show, and Mara always goes first. Yeah, but this time I feel like it's an unfair advantage because I'm stealing the, like, the the one thing that really stuck out with me, which is that uh, Christmas tree lots in New York are open 24 hours <laughs> a day because they have nowhere to uh, to put the trees. That's, that is a, a huge uh, thing for me. I, I don't... <laughs> I, I had no idea... And I, you know, never having lived in New York, would never have even thought about it. And I like most of all the idea that, like, if they closed, they would just get pillaged by, like, <laughs> just, just really just ravenous Christmas celebrators who were just, like, like skulking, waiting for him to put up the closed sign and then just rushing <laughs> in and grabbing trees and, like, running down the streets of Manhattan. That's, that's, <laughs> definitely, that's definitely what I learned. It fueled the whole fantasy for me, obviously. Wayne, how about you? <laughs> Look, that, uh, that Liz was uh, mentored in part by the great T.C. Uh, Boyle, and that, that sticks with me because um, when I was contemplating going for an MFA, and I didn't, um, my friend who knew about these things a little bit more was like, eh, MFAs, you know, I don't think you need them. Who cares? I mean, unless you get into the, one of the best ones, they don't do anything for you. And really, MFAs, they don't teach you how to write. You're going there for the networking. You're going there for the prestige. You're going there, and this is in the 90s, so take this. You're going there so you can say, hey, I got T.C. Boyle in my Rolodex. That's actually, 
that's actually the uh, the author he used. I always remembered that. Um, and then I was like, fuck, Liz got T.C. Boyle without going for the MFA. <laughs> he totally won. But, um, oh. but, but also, uh, I don't know, you know, just to, sorry, we usually don't ask any questions in the knowledge roundup, but I do want to get your, your input on this. Yeah. Uh, um, I feel, look, I, I think any kind of learning is good, and I'm not spitting on anyone's degree at all. If you've got the opportunity to get one, it can only make you a better writer. It can only be better for you. But I do feel with the Internet, and I was wondering if you agreed or disagreed, they're almost less important than they used to because you can, now with the ways of getting yourself out there, with the more transparency of publishing guidelines, with social media and connecting, I feel like you can establish a network online and interface with, with industry people and writers far more easily than you could in the 90s. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was part of my undergraduate degree. This is not graduate. Right, right. But I, which I'm, gl- I'm glad I didn't, <laughs> I didn't go into debt for a graduate degree because I, I do agree. I mean, I feel like uh, when I see people I know going for, like, graduate film degrees or graduate acting degrees, I'm like, why are you going into debt for something that you can learn on the job? <laughs> like, I was a PA. That's why I learned so much about production from just being a PA, you know, and making $350 a week and getting lunch and all of that. Um, but with right. writing, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a lot of money for something that you don't, you know. I think for some people it gives them that structure of two years or whatever to write their novel. And yeah, that. I mean, they can do it if it works for them. I would I would never tell them not to. But right, I mean, now more than ever, I feel like you, those opportunities are easier to come by. It's not a secret. It's less of a secret society that like a few universities give you the keys to than it than it used to. Well, be. and and I will say, having been in development, like you don't get a script to be like, oh my gosh, they went to the graduate degree at NYU. I must read this first. Like uh, <laughs> you're gonna go what has a really good title. Like you're not gonna be like. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah and that brings us to you what did you learn today elizabeth hackett well i learned that maura ran someone into a ditch and broke her leg and i'm so impressed (laughs) (laughs) i should be the takeaway when the apocalypse comes i'm going to maura's (laughs) i'm pretty intimidating and terrifying (laughs) in general and i will do anything uh, to not run. So, you know, if <laughs> you run, I will fucking break her legs. I hate running. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Liz. Thank you for joining us and chatting with us. And thank you to your puppy, too, whose, whose name I did not catch. I don't know if you oh, said it. But, uh, his name is Chance. He came with a name. We didn't name him that, but it kind of fits him because <laughs> he's kind of an asshole. So, Chancey. <laughs> Well, he was an excellent, an excellent backup guest as well. And oh, well, thank we'll have him, you. We'll have him on. We'll just do <laughs> a whole puppy episode. He'll destroy thank a you. door while you listen. Oh, that sounds fun. Yes, that sounds <laughs> better than a lot of things I've had to listen to recently. So that's just fine. Um, conference calls and stuff. That that sounds great. Oh, joy. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for uh, for joining us again. Thank you so much. And um, next week we, I actually know this time. Next week we've got author Arjun Basu, who I'm sure I'm pronouncing oh, correctly. Cool. But yes, very exciting. Um, so hopefully uh, you guys will join us again then. And Wayne, thanks uh, for always being here and uh, and 
you know, all you don't, that you stuff. You don't have to, like, thank me, you know. No, 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 thank you. One half of my name, too. I'm going to show up, I, uh, you know. I'm 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 waiting for you to jump ship here. I'm just waiting for you to be like, yeah. <laughs> Look, if I jump ship, then I'd have to talk less. And my God, you know, I wouldn't be able to live with that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so All much, right. Liz. We learned a lot, and I think it was, you know, the game. Before we go, the aim of the show, at least when we started, was to do a show uh, about art and the uh, monetization of art. And I feel like I'm really happy with the way this came out because I think we finally. Really focused on that for all of an episode, and uh, and I hope it was helpful to anyone who's interested. So thank you. It's helpful to me. <laughs> well, it's great talking about it. Thanks for having. Fuck all you. Fuck all of you. I have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you guys all next week. Good night. All right. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.